0: The Truth News Network. A president lies. You know he's lying. He knows you know he's lying. And you know he knows you know. So what do you do? Hmm? You might want to figure it out. How about someone telling the truth? We can help you with that. We're TNN. The Truth News Network. And the man you can rely on is Dan Newman. Where does
1: that whole thing that intro where does it where does it go from there I mean he knows that he's lying and you know that he's lying and he knows that you know that he knows that you know he's lying I mean talk about we're in a circle of untruths in our nation we just can't trust what we're hearing that's supposed to be factual from our leaders good morning everybody how you doing? How did yesterday go? Here we are. It's already Tuesday. We're in Halloween week. Have you got the pumpkin carved? Do you have the costumes bought? It's been hilarious for me to watch as every day I get these notifications from Facebook about some of my friends that are posting the pictures of them being in their Halloween costumes. The problem is all of my friends are 68 and older <laughs> And I just got to tell you, folks, we don't look as good at 68 wearing a Halloween costume as we did when we were eight. (laughs) But anyway, that's a great time to have fun and celebrate seasons, even though this particular one, Hallow's Eve, that this holiday represents, it's not a good thing. Um, It's really not a good thing. But I think people really felt like in the fall we got to come up with something fun for our kids to do after all they just finished their summer and they've been in school for a couple of months they need a break they need to get away from the seriousness of life maybe we as adults need the same kind of break at the same time you think maybe we could just forget about the the scary stuff you know the Haunted houses and vampires and monsters and clowns. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of clowns, um, what about Stephen, and I just went blank, from Maine, one of my favorite gothic, I don't even know if you call him gothic, um, writers. He wrote all of those nasty things, and the latest was a double installment of It, and It is a clown, scariest-looking character on television I've ever seen, brought the book to light. Anyway, there's plenty enough of that to go around. We don't need a whole bunch more. By the way, have you seen or heard anything about Jim Caviezel's new movie, You have got to get prepared for it. It is peeling back the layers of hiding the most egregious thing that's happening to humans on planet Earth today. And what is that? Child trafficking. Two million of our babies worldwide are captured, kidnapped, and are trafficked around the world. Two million. And this movie that is coming out Very shortly, I just saw the trailer for the first time this morning. It blows my socks off. I was told this morning after I saw this trailer that when it was first premiered in Los Angeles, the movie itself, before the movie started, the theater was packed, invitation only. And um, people at the theater came through the crowd passing out boxes of Kleenex tissues. Nobody could understand why until the movie began. Folks, we've got to awaken. We've got to realize there are really bad people in the world that are taking really bad and horrible, um, taking over the lives of many of our children. And some of that's happening right underneath our own noses. We've got to wake up. We've got to understand if we don't step in if we as people don't do things to counter these things, not just child sex trafficking and human trafficking, but any of the things like that that are happening around the world, and yeah, I understand there's nothing just like that, but there's plenty of wrongdoing and wrongdoers that need to be confronted for that. We need to get active. That's all I can say. And speaking of getting active... I want to point you to today's story at truthnewsnet.org. You need to check it out, folks. Um, it's time that um, we begin to get some answers about the leadership in our nation, and specifically about this president. Who's in charge? And the title of today's story is, Who is Pia Leading the ship called the Biden administration, it certainly isn't Joe. I know many of you, you voiced it to me in questions through texts, through emails, even a phone call or two every now and then. Who's who's piloting the ship? <laughs> who's driving the USS America? And it's certainly not this president. You know who Chris Rock is. Chris Rock, famous comedian and an actor, he once said, when Barack Obama was president, he said, the president and the first lady are kind of like the mom and the dad of the country. And when your dad says something, you listen. Well, Joe Biden is grandpa of the country. And when you listen to grandpa, sometimes you wonder if it's safe for him to be near a pair of scissors. (laughs) Could be trouble, right? No big deal, though. Is Just that there's this guy who looks like he'd have trouble using Google Maps. Can you imagine him in a car trying to talk to Siri to get the navigation to work? And this guy happens to be in charge of all the nuclear warheads in the United States. So on the very rare occasions when uh, Biden's staff let him out of the day room to be seen on camera... Preselected members of the press ask him the gentlest, conceivable questions and then wind up cringing anyway as Biden gives one unnerving display after another. You've heard him do it. When he answers questions, he's all over the map. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, they got to be watching these press conferences, giggling uncontrollably at their good fortune. What is their good fortune? Well, all of a sudden... The world's greatest power is in the hands of a, and I'm going to be kind, slightly dazed-looking fellow who seems like he's always just waking up from some real heavy anesthesia. Sometimes it looks like he hasn't awakened from anesthesia. Do you remember, we, we covered this exhaustively. Everybody's covering this. You remember speaking to the media three different times. Biden bent over the microphone. And taking very adept care to set his eyes to crazy mode, whispered into the microphone as though he was auditioning to play a stalker calling from inside the house to terrorize a babysitter. You remember that movie back in the 80s? That's what Joe sounds like when he does that. So defending one of his bills, he whispered, I got them $1.9 trillion in relief so far. Later, when he was asked another question, he whispered again, I wrote the bill on the environment. Why would I not be for it? A video of the whispery bits was viewed, folks, more than 3 million times. So why is our president trying to sound so eerily sinister? Michael Myers. He's 78. Remember this. When Ronald Reagan turned 78, he'd already retired. Biden is suffering from what nursing home workers delicately refer to as personality changes. You get the feeling his aides spend a solid week coaching him in advance before they even let him talk which is why he keeps saying things like, I'm going to get in trouble with the staff. Never before have we had a president who so openly feared his own handlers, minders, whatever you want to call them. So who are these people, his minders, his thinkers? Because he's just reciting the buzzwords that his staffers dream up. Biden may not even be aware of how silly he sounds when he uses online cultist words like Latinx to refer to Latinos. Those folks, the Latinos, mostly, none of them ever heard of the term Latinex or Latinx, however you pronounce it, and none of them ever use it. He obviously had no idea how insulting he sounded to Latinos when he suggested, quote, they're worried that they'll be vaccinated and deported. So was our president aware that most Latinos are here legally? In those same remarks, he confused the Tuskegee Airmen, which, if you'll remember, was a group of heroic black World War II pilots. He confused them with the Tuskegee Syphilis Study which is about as dumb as confusing coronavirus with corona beer. All of these Biden blunders came in the same 30 seconds, as though Biden were saving the Republican Party some editing work by creating a campaign ad for them in real time, in a 30-second spot. So I guess we'll have to wait until the moment when Biden starts emitting a stream of actual gibberish or answering the press using sock puppets, Before our media acknowledge the obvious, since our president isn't fit to find his way home after dark, do we really believe he's the one running the country? And that brings us to the obvious question today who really is running the U.S.? It certainly isn't Joe Biden. Well, perhaps the most consistent question about the installed leader occupying the Oval Office is about who actually is planning the policy, scheduling its implementation, giving Biden instructions after his breakfast pudding. For those who have followed politics closely, the answer has always been obvious. Barack Obama and the Chicago crew. Joe Obama is not a meme, nor is it a snarky slap at the current White House occupant, folks. Joe Obama is a reality. Barack Obama and his ideologues, who took over the DNC, they are now completely controlling the leftist policy execution. With the help of his former administration crew, Obama eliminated the remaining remnants of the Clinton machine. He installed Tom Perez to run the Democrat Party and then set about absorbing the AME Church Network. That's where James Clyburn came in to endorse Biden as part of the final stages of this plan. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who is the former spokesperson for Obama's State Department, essentially admitted that Obama's network was in charge and Biden received his instructions from the crew. There's a history, a backstory, that only a handful of people genuinely understand. The answers boil down to the less discussed issue of ideological camps and the modern alignment that has taken place over the past decade. The most visible reference for the inflection point was, remember that 2008 primary contest between Hillary and Barack. Throughout the first decade of this millennium, there was an ideological shift, an inflection point that became most clear in the rise of a little-known state representative appointed to become a senator from Illinois named Barack Obama. In the background of Obama's rise were the people who designed the modern political Left. Those Obama creationists were and are hardline revolutionary communist types. This group comprised the more radical elements of the progressive movement, those who wanted to fundamentally change the United States and have a very patient and methodical plan to do just that. Those elements took control. How'd they do it? They convinced the far left labor movement to abandon the traditional Democrat apparatus to support a more radical approach. Those unions, the SEIU, AFCME, AFL-CIO, UAW, UFCW, and others, were leveraged to this position through promised financial benefit if they just came along. Those groups became the more powerful ammunition needed by the radical community activist teams, which were entirely and still are on the side of Obama. Hillary Clinton's first run for the White House was crushed. Under the weight of the leverage, all of the radicals aligned on the Obama side. Clinton was only left with the option to support the extremists, and she did that in exchange for their support in 2016. However, that support that she got wasn't really an all-in kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. The ideological hatred created during the earlier inflection point when the camps were at war left a bunch of scars, and those scars have never healed. And quite frankly, the radicals were not going to support someone they didn't like. Radical foot soldiers operate best on feelings and emotions. Clinton just didn't do that for them. The more extreme radical leftists wiped out, one by one, all of the traditional Democrat left. Fast forward to 2021, very recently, and what we're seeing is the outcome of the radical left in complete control over the internal club systems and political party apparatus. It took some time for this takeover to materialize, but it is here, folks. We are there, and we're way into this far-left soup of radical elements. The media, they're now activists for these radicals. This is why there is a more brutally obvious bias present today that was not visible before. The bias was always there, but the scale of the ideological nature of the bias, it wasn't always in full view. Today, the ideological support is crystal clear. They're not hiding anything anymore. The issue for the Cuomos and the Gavin Newsoms of the world is inherently a matter of club selection. Barack Obama, meaning the people behind the Obama system of radical elements, were the decision makers in the 2020 Democrat primary race, and they're never going to give up control now. Team Obama selected Joe specifically because he was controllable and almost cognitively disconnected from any functional capabilities. Team Obama also selected and installed Kamala Harris as the VP. Why? Well, to use her as the substantive and moldable ally. When Biden is removed, not if, when Biden is removed, Willingly or by political power, the radicals plan to use Kamala to continue their fundamental change priorities. Biden is being thrown upon the spears of those who want to defend against the attack of the radicals. The extreme policies we see from this administration are being assigned to him specifically because he is disposable. Think about that. I've said this, I've told you this dozens of times. One day, we're going to get a big news headline, and it's going to be basically this. Dr. Jill just got off the phone with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and said this. Because of health concerns, Joe's got to step down. The Radicals don't care about public opinion of the policies or their outcomes because they have Biden to absorb all the negative attachments right now. Kamala, well, she's the key to seeing the hidden hand of the Obama control agents at work. Her associations, I mean her associations today, or Obama's associations. Harris's crew is Obama's crew. Anyone who is not Harris and carries a perspective of potential political influence is now nothing more than a thorn in that far-left agenda. Example, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, he was rising in influence. As a result, he needed to be eliminated to retain the exclusive position of Kamala Harris as being heir to the radical agenda. Watch what happens over the next several months. (laughs) And years, if Biden lasts that long. And you're going to see prominent Democrats left with the decision. Support Harris, which is supporting those behind her and the Obama agenda, or be targeted for removal by the new radical system that includes a willing media taking targeting orders from the club. The fact that this vice president is already proven to be feckless and role, and that's immaterial, folks, to the machine calling all the shots. Remember, Joe Biden was little more than a pawn, a placeholder for what and who is next. This group's track does not rely on one person, not even on one ideology. Biden is being propped up a little more than a face that, Appeals in some ways to both ends of the Democrat Party and also to the remnant of moderates who have not already jumped ship. Harris is nothing but placeholder number two. It's too easy for Americans to forget the talking points that powerful politicians are prone to let slip from time to time. It's as if they think, I can't let the general public think I'm not in charge do you remember obama telling us all his ambition and as president was to lead the fundamental change of america when he said that it resonated with some but it didn't linger in the air very long but then he doubled down on his power lust when he held a pen and a phone up in the air and he reminded us that's all he needed to run the nation a phone and a pen Obama hasn't been the only D.C. zealot who has given us extreme examples of being a power junkie. Remember when Speaker Pelosi famously prophesied in one of her weekly press briefings in late summer of 2020 that no matter what she said, January 20th of next year, I will swear Joe Biden in as President of the United States. Did she know something that we didn't know? Or was she just being the political dominatrix most feel that she is? One thing is certain, though. In November 2016, no one was as surprised and disgusted at Trump's trampling on the far-left utopia part two that Hillary was anointed to lard over, as was Barack Obama. He'd made one monumental misjudgment. The American people did not want Part two, it remains to be seen if the American people in large are going to benignly sit by and allow Barack Obama et al.'s plans to morph the United States into Western Russia with some version of totalitarianism light. If there's one thing in the nation's favor, it's that once again, it appears the left has underestimated the love that the majority of Americans hold for all that the United States stands for. They've done it before. They're doing it now. They just don't get it. And those Americans are not willing to let the globalists steal it away to serve some far-out dream for total control of not just the United States, but the globe. The whole globe. By the way, if... Obama is not the orchestrator and is just a placeholder himself, the power brokers behind him have also obviously underestimated those American people, the same ones. Let's face it, folks. There are still tens of millions of us who love this nation and are not willing to let domestic leftist globalists turn our nation into Eastern Europe from the 1950s. Let's hope and let's pray. (laughs) That's what's really going on. What do you think? Just thought I'd throw that out there. I get asked this question every day. Who's really controlling the nation? Who's behind Barack Obama? I'm not even sure if he is the mover and shaker. I'm not sure that he's anything more than a messenger for somebody or some people behind him. I will tell you this, there's no question in my mind that somewhere up there in the hierarchy that it is pulling the strings and calling the shots. I'm positive George Soros is sitting up there. One of the most powerful men on earth. And whatever he wants, folks, he gets it done. Look at what he has. He, with just a couple of other billionaires, like Mark Zuckerberg, look at what they've done. Look at what they did during the Trump administration. And the principal tool that they used was money. And don't, don't diminish that power and control they already have. And don't sell them short, folks, They're not going to quit. Meanwhile, while all of that's going on, there's other stuff going on. I had to buy some gas yesterday. (laughs) I paid $3.23 a gallon for premium for my motorcycle. Yesterday, we told you $8.46 a gallon at one location in California over the weekend. Every single day in October and beginning in the last days of September gas prices have gone up every day 27 days in a row that's according to the AAA the average price of gallons they say is 3.38 a gallon a rise of approximately 20 cents per gallon now that's just since late September <laughs> while the US economy slowly is recovering from the depths of the pandemic demand for gas It's going crazy. The supply is tight. We haven't seen prices this high since September of 2014, folks. AAA said this, The recent recent rise in the pump price is due to higher demand coupled with the decline in stocks alongside elevated crude prices. Global oil production is still below pre-pandemic levels, According to new data from the Energy Information Administration, total domestic gas stocks decreased by 5.4 million barrels to 217.7 million barrels last week. However, gas demand increased from 9.19 million barrels a day to 9.6 million barrels a day. Since the cost of oil accounts for more than half the pump price, Consumers are going to be paying more as long as crude prices remain high. Now, October last year, a year ago, we weren't in this situation. And you know why? We had plenty of fuel here. We had plenty of gas here that we produced ourselves. We were not importing a gallon from anybody overseas. We, for the first time in a generation, pretty much, had become energy independent. So gas prices stayed low because we controlled the distribution domestically. Now we rely on Russia and OPEC. AAA lists the nation's top 10 largest weekly increases, which are mainly in the eastern U.S. North Carolina up 14 cents a gallon, Florida also 14, Arizona 12. Rhode Island 11 New York 11 New Hampshire 10, Connecticut 10, New Jersey 10 Pennsylvania nine and Texas nine. The top 10 most expensive markets are mostly out west with the exception of Pennsylvania and the nation's capital. California the average was 454 a gallon Hawaii 426 Nevada 392 skip over to DC was 357 Pennsylvania 356. Gas prices continue to soar in a majority of the nation over the last week. This is gas buddy. Oil's meteor meteoric rise pulls gasoline and other refined product prices higher. But there may be some light at the end of the tunnel. I needed to throw this in. I wanted you to hear this from Gas Buddy. They say the sharp rise seen over the past three weeks should begin slowing down soon barring another jump in the price of oil. This is because gas prices have now largely caught up to the jump in oil that started nearly a month ago. This isn't all clear for the future, though, as oil prices could rise again at any time. But for now, oil has held around $83 a barrel, and without a further climb, gas price increases should slow down in the bulk of the nation. $83 a barrel. $83 a barrel. You want me to put that in perspective for you? It was $50 a barrel three weeks before the 2020 election. $53 to $83. Up $30 a barrel on Joe Biden's watch. Makes you wonder, folks. Makes you wonder. And then remember this how many times during the campaign and subsequently have you watched and heard him stand at a podium and say demonstratively, The buck stops here. But then when it's time to take accountability for anything, all Joe does, he doesn't double down on the buck stops here. He starts pointing fingers. It's Donald Trump's
0: fault.
2: Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on Pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new Pumpkin Cream Cold Brew.
3: Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices.
1: And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our Pumpkin Spice Signature Latte. Rich espresso topped with, with cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the new Pumpkin Cream Cold Brew or Pumpkin Spice Signature Latte.
4: America runs on Dunkin'. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more, and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care.
0: Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. And those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's the Disney Bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney Bundle. It's streaming at its best. Includes
4: Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details
0: Saying it out loud, no spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman.
1: If somebody would, somebody that's very politically in the tank, hard left, would listen to what we say and how we report here, and they would say, yeah, there's a spin there. No, folks, um, you don't hear spin here. When we talk about anything negative pertaining to someone and something they say or something they do on the political front, we do it because that's what it is. I mean, we don't get into and are not interested in getting into the politics of any of this. Factually, what's going on? That's all that matters to us. I personally don't have a political agenda. I really don't. I, I, I will tell you this. I was pushed pretty hard back when I was in my early 40s to run for state representative here in Louisiana. And it was a group of political heavyweights that pushed for me to do that. In fact, one was the incumbent that uh, was being term-limited out, and he was going to run for the Senate on the other side of uh, the Louisiana government. His space was going to be empty and a group of political heavyweights just walked into my office unannounced. He was with them and said, we want you to run for this position. I couldn't do it. I couldn't agree to it. I was very honored that they would think that I could do it. And secondly, that they wanted me to do it. And they asked me why. In fact, he asked me why. And I could say his name and you would probably know it because he got into politics in a bigger way. Um, And I told him, I said, look, I can't personally afford to run a campaign even at the state legislative level, which means I've got to ask somebody to give me money during a campaign, which means if I would get elected and whoever this person or this company was that gave me donations, I am the kind of guy I'm going to feel obligated. Whether or not there's ever any play by that person or that company on my obligation for a campaign contribution. It didn't matter to me if it would happen or if it didn't happen, I would feel obligated. Now that doesn't mean if and when they called and wanted something specifically politically a favor that I would automatically do it just because I was obligated. I'm not saying I was obligated to do anything for them. But I would be obligated to sit and have a conversation and talk about it. And then if we did that, typically, if I did not agree with what they were wanting to be done or considered, I'm going to create enemies. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to have to play political partisanship and become a political hack. I'm never going to do that, which means... I probably, if I ever was elected one time, (laughs) I would never be reelected because I'm going to hack off half of the people. I mean, let's face it, that's politics. And so I never got into politics, but what I have done, and even at that time, I've always been very involved. My wife, Marianne, she gives me some grief. She tells everybody, all he ever does is read, investigate, and listen. That's not true, but it is important if... If we don't take care of what we have, folks, we're not going to be able to keep it. There are people out there that desperately want to take what we have, add it to what they already have, and then begin to dominate the political sphere sphere, called the United States of America. That's what they want, and they will not be satisfied unless and until they get it done one of those kinds of people, there are a bunch of them, far too many that are leaning that way that have a lot of money. Mark Zuckerberg, CEO, founder of Facebook, a filthy rich gentleman, one of the wealthiest people in the United States and therefore in the world. And we all know, we've reported extensively here about how much money he and his wife invested in a not-for-profit that they set up to directly impact the operations on a local level in election key states. States like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and Arizona in the 2020 election using dollars and cents. And they bought lots of favor. Well, Zuckerberg has been a big player, as you know, as every principal in any of the... uh, any of the big tech social media companies and impacting the thought process, what people see and hear, therefore impacting what they think. And they've used censorship exhaustively. Well, when this pandemic thing, when COVID-19 was discovered, um, well, not discovered because it had been around a long time, but when we were told as the American public about COVID 19 and what its potential was and what it was going to do and these vaccines. Well, Zuckerberg is an American, folks, and he's not a doctor. He's not a healthcare professional. He's like most of us. He knows a little bit, but what he knows is pretty much what you and I know. It's what we're told or the scientific facts. And that whole process has dominated everything, all types of information dissemination to us all, in large part by Twitter, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. So in the beginning of this, um, Zuckerberg had some questions about vaccines. But this week, Zuckerberg has been exposed once again for a little two-faced stuff, a little hypocrisy when it comes to the vaccine vaccination stuff. One of those whistleblowers in Facebook anonymously stepped forward to Project Veritas. Now, they're not anonymous to Project Veritas, but they're not going to release the name of the whistleblower. But I want you to listen closely to Mark Zuckerberg and an explanation from Project Veritas about what's going on regarding vaccine efficacy.
0: But I I do just want to make sure that
4: um, I I share some caution on this because um, we just don't know the long-term side effects of of
2: basically modifying people's um, DNA and RNA. DNA is inherent in your own nucleus cell. We just don't know the long-term side effects of, of basically modifying people.
4: Last week, Facebook announced they are, quote, expanding their efforts to remove false claims on Facebook and Instagram about COVID-19, COVID-19 vaccines, and vaccines in general during the pandemic. Even the New York Times covered the story. Let's take a look at Facebook's most updated COVID-19 vaccine policy. It says, quote, we want to make sure that our policies help to protect people from harmful content regarding COVID-19 and vaccines. But the real kicker is right here on the policy where Facebook says it would remove any content that, quote, claims the COVID-19 vaccine changes people's DNA. Well, we just got a new leaked tape from Zuckerberg himself, the CEO of Facebook, basically violating his own code of conduct. He would be censored on the platform today for what he said. Let's take a listen.
0: But I, I do just want to make sure that
4: um, I, I share some caution on this because um, we just don't know the long-term side effects of, of basically modifying people's um, DNA and RNA to, um, to directly encode in a person's DNA and, and RNA basically the ability to, um, to, to produce uh, those antibodies and whether that causes other mutations or other risks down, uh, downstream. So and, uh, there's work on both paths of vaccine development. That was from Facebook's internal weekly Q&A meeting in July 2020. So when Zuckerberg said, quote, basically, the vaccine is modifying people's DNA, it seems pretty clear modifying is synonymous with changing. Again, Zuckerberg would be banned from Facebook for saying this. In fact, this video of me showing the CEO of Facebook talking might be banned because he is violating Facebook's policy. Seems a little bit hypocritical, don't you think? But then Zuckerberg, on November 30th, in a public live stream Q and A with White House medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, appears to somewhat change his tune. He asks Fauci about the vaccines and their effect on DNA or RNA.
0: And just to clear up one point, I mean, my understanding is that these vaccines do not modify your DNA or, or RNA. Um, so, so I think that that's that's just an important point to, to clarify. If I'm getting anything yeah. wrong here, of course, correct me. But um no, 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 but, no, But just to, to make that clear, no.
2: Uh, first of all, DNA is inherent in your own nucleus cell. Sticking
0: in anything foreign will ultimately get cleared. Good. Well, I'm glad we we can we can clear that up.
4: Yeah, I'm glad we could clear that up. It's it's unclear what is on Zuckerberg's mind or what's in his heart on the subject of the COVID vaccine. Isn't it interesting that Zuckerberg can vastly evolve his thinking on the subject of vaccines, going as far as to caution his own staff, but as soon as he's made up his mind or appears to have made up his mind on the topic, he disallows the almost 3 billion Facebook users to do the same. Rules for thee, but not for me. The irony is under their own community standards, they say they want people to quote, discuss, debate, and share their personal experiences, opinions and views as it pertains to the pandemic. Hmm, but how do you quote, discuss or debate something if you can't even share opposing views or even facts or even Facebook CEO, Mark Zuckerberg's own statements? Now, I'm not here to tell you my opinion or give you my thoughts on the vaccine. I wanna be clear about that. But it is clear that Zuck is not living up to his own book of rules. What happened to free speech? And who is on this Facebook oversight board? Who makes all of their policy decisions? You heard Nick Clegg in that leaked phone call talk about that, talk about how they make decisions in real time.
2: Mark would be very clear about that, that ideally we wouldn't be taking these decisions on our own. We would be taking these decisions in line with and in conformity with democratically uh, uh, agreed uh, rules and principles. Um, and. At the moment, those democratically, elect, uh, democratically agreed rules don't exist. We still have to take decisions in real time.
4: Why do they get to determine what we can or can't say as it pertains to our health? We would know none of this, but not for the fact that we have a brave Facebook insider that continues to leak and transmit videotape of Facebook executives to Project Veritas. It's not that the insider is betraying Mark Zuckerberg, It's that Mark Zuckerberg
1: is betraying
4: what Facebook
1: ought to stand for. So what's happening in all of this? There are so many things in what you just heard that we could spend 30 minutes unpacking what it's all about. But it boils down to this, folks. The giants of information. I don't even know if you can call what they disseminate information or news. Um, Because very little of it is. And very, very, I mean, it's infinitesimal how much of what is disseminated is actually truthful. And yet, we, you and me, we are expected to take what they say, process it in our own lives, implement it, without asking any questions, because if we do, you're not following the science. You're not listening. And you don't have the right to not listen or follow the quote-unquote science. And just to prove how egregious this is and how totalitarian it is in reasoning, you put that in the context of what is happening all around us, not just in COVID-19, but in everything, everything in our lives. I mean, we talked about the price of gasoline, how did that come about? It had nothing to do with the free market system. It had nothing to do with freedom, with liberty and justice for all. It had to do with top-down, egregious policies that are made and implemented in total disregard for the rule of law, the structure of the United States in every part of our lives, social, political, economical, All of what we've experienced in the last 11 months coming out of Washington, D.C., coming out of this administration, are built and structured and implemented and maintained on this basis alone. We say what the facts are. Forget about what the facts are. What we say are the facts in all of these matters. We're going to govern that way, we're going to make rules based on that, not on facts, not on truths, but on the developed and implemented political version of all things regarding everything in the economy, in our social structure, in our political structure. And there are no exceptions. If you or anybody wants to push back against any of it, you'll immediately be canceled and or kicked to the curb. Now swallow that for a second. You just heard one of the wealthiest men on planet Earth, one of the most influential people in social media, and now in politics, Mark Zuckerberg. And he did a 180. And the reason he did a 180, the first segment you heard was him cautiously questioning, hey, we don't know what's in these vaccines. We don't know if it's manipulating or changing our mRNA or our RNA. Why did he ask that? He's not a doctor. And he turned to the doctor in the second segment later, a year later, you heard him communicating with Dr. Anthony Fauci and he basically Zuckerberg asked Fauci about does these vaccines change or manipulate humans RNA or DNA and of course Fauci says absolutely not do you believe what Fauci said is true I mean I'm not I'm not trying to push you in one direction or another. I'm asking you sincerely, do you believe it? Do you believe that these vaccines do not manipulate or change humans' RNA or DNA? Or they don't change anything about the humans in which they're injected molecularly? You have the right to think, yeah, it does, or no, that it doesn't. That's what's changing, folks, the right to think one way or the other. The most obvious example of this is not what you just heard. The most obvious example is what has happened in the aftermath of what happened in D.C. on January 6th when there were a bunch of people in D.C. that went to express their opinions about their concerns for the results of the November 3rd election, 2020. That there was cheating that went on, that there were voting irregularities in at least five states. And folks, turn the pages back for a minute. Do you remember what happened? Nothing on a national basis was ever allowed to be discussed in in the mainstream media. Nothing, not even Fox News. In fact, Fox News was the news organization that started this clampdown on the discussion, the possibility, even a remote possibility, the election results were not the actual results. you remember all of that? And even now, after months of exhaustive investigations, what about that Arizona election audit? What about it? It's complete. The results were released. They were printed. We talked about it, read a huge portion of the synopsis of that audit right here on TNN Live to You. There was cheating in Arizona. Massive numbers of illegal votes were changed. 86,000 people that voted in that election that were registered Democrats don't exist. That came out in the audit. Have you heard all of that? If you even mention it, You're considered immediately by the left a conspirator, a conspiracy theorist. You have bought into what they call the big lie. And guess what that has done? That whole thing, it shut down conversation. Nobody wants to be shamed. And so what's our justification? Well... We can't go back and change that election. What happened, happened. We're just going to bow up and make sure it doesn't happen again. How are we bowing up to make sure it doesn't happen again? How are we treating our social media giants? What are we doing about stopping them from violating people's First Amendment rights? All Every Facebook member in the United States of America, their First Amendment rights are controlled by Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Forget about the First Amendment thing. All of this stuff we're talking about in this segment is government takeover of the United States of America, taking it out of the hands of the people of the United States that constitutionally have all of the rights, every one of the rights, to maintain the rule of law, representative republic government, government of the people, by the people, and for the people. There, they, being the hard left, they're just walking in and grabbing it. And we're letting them. Do you think they're just going to stop? Do you think because some little news outlet like One America News found that video with Anthony Fauci and a group of his compadres in October of 2019. We played it for you here, seven minutes long. A bunch of you wrote in and wanted a copy of the audio. I sent it as an attachment, in MP3 format to you. Do you think that didn't happen? Folks, they presented the roadmap of how to create and implement and operate a fake pandemic, primarily to take quiet control of the whole structure of the nation. They told us step by step how that would have to happen, why it should happen. Fauci even made it very clear. We can't go through the normal vaccine development process. It would take 10 years, he said. So what did they do? They rushed vaccines through the process. And as you know, because of the VAERS report that we publish every week that comes straight from the CDC website, on a low side, 20... 1,000 Americans have died just from reactions to these vaccinations. The real number, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000. They don't even talk about it. It's like it doesn't exist. They don't want people to know about it or think about it. All of these things are built on the back of a government takeover by one very small segment of people in the American politosphere. I can't think of another word. Americans, we're awakening, thank God. There are millions of folks out there that finally see there's something going on. Let me tell you what what is really happening that's egregious, that points this whole debacle out. We're going to get into some details coming out of Virginia. Yeah, we know about the Loudoun County thing and all that, but there's some other stuff that will blow your mind. Right after this at
0: TNN Live. Read all about it. Hear the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network.
3: Grab an ice cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients zero sugar and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius. Essential energy. Live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you.
1: It's mycomputercareer.edu. Be honest with me. You're you're tapping your foot to that, aren't you? <laughs> oh my goodness! I love music that uh, gets you up and gets get you started, get you going when you're facing things. Music's always a good place to go to get a little temporary reprieve from the ugly things we're dealing with. So let's go to Virginia conversation principally surrounding Loudoun County. That's where that school board was totally exposed about the cover-up of a rape that happened last school year, not this school year. It didn't come to light what we're talking about until the summer after it happened A teenage girl was in a girl's bathroom in high school when a boy who had identified, self-identified as a girl who was wearing a dress went in this bathroom and sexually assaulted her. And the father is the one that uh, made the public aware of what was going on because he went to the school board because they hadn't done anything about what happened to his daughter. I mean, the, the girl was sodomized. In a public high school bathroom, and the school board and the school executives' administration hadn't done anything about it. Yes, the cops knew about it, but nothing had been done. In fact, it gets worse. That school kicked him out of that school. He went to another public school, and he did the same thing to a girl at that school. But it's all hidden. It's all covered up. And so that man became the target of the far left in public education because anybody that would push back like he did at a school board meeting trying to get to the truth, trying to educate everybody that was looking in about what's going on in that public school district. And so that was the impetus for that very infamous a memorandum put out by Attorney General Merrick Garland a few weeks ago, and you remember he notified us all that he had instructed the FBI to start a systematic process of investigating these parents around the nation that were really domestic terrorists. Of course, he didn't use that term, but the inference in that email was just that. Congress confronted him in a hearing last week, Merrick Garland, about that, and he he backed up way, 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 way backwards. So then it came to light. How did all of this memorandum come together? In those hearings, he was asked, Merrick Garland was asked about what he knew about that incident. He played stupid. I don't know. Nobody reached out to me. Nobody said anything to me. Well, did you talk to the White House? I didn't talk to the White House. Who in your administration, the Department of Justice, talked to the White House about this? I don't know that anybody did. That's the latest ploy that everybody testifying before congressional hearings uses. I don't know. I don't know. Come to find out that the NSBA the NSBA. What is that? That's a teacher union. The head of the NSBA, they're the ones that put the memorandum together that ended up going out to all the parents and to all the news media. Can you believe that would actually happen, that any attorney general, Merrick Garland, who, by the way, had a shot at and really wanted to be a Supreme Court justice, he got pushed to the curb, never got a chance to even be considered, but he's our attorney general? And he took something from a labor union and crafted a message to Americans about parents being termed domestic terrorist, and being watched by the FBI. Every parent that would go to a school board meeting and object in any way needed to be watched. Be careful they might be domestic terrorists. So when this all broke, what happened to the guy or whoever at that union that got busted for doing it? Well, let me tell you what Joe Biden did. After that memo came out and all of the uproar, He got a promotion. The Biden administration gave him, him being the author of that letter, calling on the Department of Justice to investigate protesting parents as terrorists. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona appointed National School Board Association President Viola Garcia to the National Assessment Governing Board Days after she is the one that released the letter. And the group, the union, the NSBA, they later apologized for the letter going out. And this, listen to what I'm about to say, makes it even worse. Nobody in the White House, nobody in the DOJ, nobody would say there was any coordination. Well, emails from the NSBA now show it coordinated with the White House on sending that letter, which resulted in the formation of an FBI-DOJ task force charged with investigating alleged domestic terrorist threats against school board representatives. Garcia's appointment to that board, and that board oversees the National Assessment of Educational Progress, commonly referred to as the Nation's Report Card on Education, came two days after the letter was sent to the DOJ. That's no big deal, right? Now put that in the... Con- we're talking about the Department of Justice, the FBI, and at least 17 other investigative units. We don't even know who all the three-letter agencies are. But those are the folks that are supposed to know everything bad and everybody bad in the nation that are doing anything. So, put that in the context of the real stuff that happened in the last year. What about the rioting? There were over 400 riots in the United States in 2020, 2021. Did you know that? Over 400. I don't know how many tens of billions of dollars in property damage was made. People died. Dozens and dozens of police officers were injured. How many people have you heard that the Department of Justice has gone in and prosecuted for being domestic terrorists? None. You know why? You know who the principal arbiter of all of that that happened across the nation from Seattle to Washington, D.C., to New York City, Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit? You know who was at the bottom of it? Black Lives Matter. Nobody wants to touch Black Lives Matter, and this or any federal government. I don't care who it would be. I guarantee you, if Donald Trump was still in office, the Department of Justice would be acting the exact same way. How are they acting, Dan? They're doing nothing. They did nothing. But what they are doing is going after parents. They're going after parents who dare to push back and even want somebody to be held accountable that covered up. The rape of a teenager at a public school. That's not an isolated incident, by the way. It's the one that was exposed. How much more of that is going on that we don't even know about? And this is all happening in a very hotly politicized state, especially right now. There's a massive, very contentious gubernatorial race going on and the democrat in the race is a former governor two-time governor of virginia terry mcauliffe the big 900 pound gorilla in the room that started all this contentiousness in virginia is critical race theory you remember i guess what three or four months ago We started seeing the videos of parents going to school board meetings across the state of Virginia. They were finding out the content of the books that showed the curriculum in public schools in Virginia were full of critical race theory, untruths. Parents didn't know about it. Well, Glenn Yunkin, who's a Republican candidate in this race, he has very loudly proclaimed consistently from the beginning when he ended the race they're going to stop critical race theory across the state that was at, kind of at the bottom of this uh this thing that uh attorney general merrick garland was facing over the last couple of weeks it just happens that when he's dealing with public school board matters in virginia when that's what instigated him having to put that out there and supposedly to keep it safe in public schools and school board meetings, to have these parents prosecuted or at least stopped for being threatening to these school board members. And, of course, why they were getting so upset. It wasn't only about this girl being raped, sexually assaulted. It was about cramming critical race theory down the throats of these kids and not listening to the parents. In fact, Terry McAuliffe, who is running for this, He's running for, pre- for uh, governor again. He wants to be president eventually, by the way. But new information has come out from way back in 2019. His remarks about diversity and inclusion in schools, which is a key section of critical race theory, those remarks he made back in 2019 have resurfaced We don't do a good job in our education system talking about diversity, inclusion, openness, and so forth. That's what McAuliffe said on C-SPAN while he was promoting a book titled Beyond Charlottesville, Taking a Stand Against White Nationalism, back in 2019. We don't, he said. We got our textbooks, but you know... That has to be a big part of how do you fit into the social work of our nation and our fabric. How we deal with one another is, to me, as important as you know, your math class or your English class. Parents in two counties, Loudoun County and Fairfax County, have condemned some programs that were launched in the name of diversity inclusion, saying that the program promote critical race theory, a framework that involves deconstructing aspects of society to discover, quote, systemic racism beneath the surface. And the default position of all those who are promoting this, folks, is that there is systemic racism in everything, every institution in the United States, every corporation, you name it. It is fundamentally racist at its core. Some parents have called critical race theory a divisive, claiming it encourages white students to view themselves as oppressors. Candidate Yunkin has pledged to ban critical race theory in education if he wins the race. Terry McAuliffe introduced political agendas like CRT into the Virginia education system back in 2015. This is Yunkin talking. He lowered academic standards and dragged our children's math and reading performances down with those diminished expectations. Yunkin has repeatedly cited alarming figures from the Department of Education, which found that 62% of Virginia students failed to meet proficiency standards on 8th grade math. Nearly 60% of students failed to meet national proficiency standards in 4th grade reading. Last month, in September, in a debate, McAuliffe said this, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. McAuliffe has accused Yunkin of taking the quote out of context, but Yunkin's campaign released an ad showing McAuliffe standing by the statement. So the president and founder of Parents Defending Education, Nicole Neely, and she's a Virginia mother, by the way, warned that too much focus on diversity and inclusion programs distracts from the core curriculum. She said, it's abundantly clear parents are concerned about the quality of education. Virginia recently posted staggering learning loss numbers over the course of the pandemic, which compounds the already abysmal proficiency rates in the state. When schools obsessively focus on these critical race theory initiatives, That's time and resources that are not being spent on core curriculum. You understand what they're doing, folks. They're putting this critical race theory, which the fundamental premise, as I said, if you believe in it and you believe it's real and you think it's an an important thing and it's critical for us to have our teachers teaching to our kids, the fundamental premise is that every white person is racist and if you're white you can't even make a claim to disprove that it is factual can you imagine what that does to the education of minority American kids kids that are Asian or Hispanic or African American or some other nationality when they're told Every time they go to class, hey, those white people sitting around you, you got to watch them. They're racist. They think they're better than you. Now, don't get me wrong. Racism is alive. It exists. It's a horrible thing. It does not have one skin color. It doesn't. There are Asian people who are racist. There are Latin people who are racist. There are African American people, black people who are racist. Racism has no ethnicity. It has no religion. It has no nation of origin. Racism is something that is real. And the only way it can ever get into anybody, you don't get it genetically. You don't get it from your mom and dad. You get it from being taught and voluntarily accepting it as part of your psyche. I could, I could spew, a, 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 I don't know how many names, an exhaustive list of people who are in the public eye that every name I could bring up, you would know who the people are that are racist to the bone. How do I know that? From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And it comes straight from their hearts. It's a lot of white folks, no doubt about it. But it's a bunch of people that aren't white. So former President Barack Obama, he uh, over the weekend, he made the campaign run with his buddy Terry McAuliffe. And he basically... Um, he kind of made himself look bad, some of the things that he said. He condemned, and you would expect he would, the Republican governor Corey candidate, Glenn Yunkin, And he diminished Youngkin for focusing on hot-button education issues during the campaign. Obama dismissed those issues as unserious and fake outrage. Virginia parents and parent advocates shot back at Obama's remarks, calling them and him tone-deaf and clueless. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars, this fake outrage that right-wing media peddlers peddled to juice their ratings, Obama said, while he was campaigning on Saturday for McAuliffe. He accused Youngkin of avoiding serious problems that affect serious people and suggested that outrage over the actions of school boards is unjustified instead of stoking anger aimed at school boards and administrators who are just trying to keep our kids safe, we should be making it easier for teachers in schools to give our kids the world-class education they deserve and to do so safely while they are in the classroom. Um, He totally dismissed what happened in Loudoun County, what that school board did and allowed and hid from the American people regarding that teenager that was raped by a self-described female who was a biological boy wearing a dress and for obvious reasons because he's a multiple offender he did it again in another school after he got off for this one Obama dismissed it if that was your girl How would you respond to Barack Obama? Now, with all of this uproar about the teaching of critical race theory in Loudoun County and the very public school board meetings that segments of we played right here at Teen and Live, in the wake of all that happening, Loudoun County decided, hey, um, Parents want to see what the curriculum is. They want to look over our shoulders. We're going to let them do it. We'll let them come in and they can find out exactly what is part of the curriculum being taught in this particular category in Loudoun County. Well, there's one catch. This was revealed overnight. You're going to love this. Loudoun County Public Schools is requiring parents, if you want to see and find out what the curriculum on critical race theory is, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement to even view a portion of the district's new curriculum inspired by critical race theory. As part of Loudoun County's broader equity agenda, they say, the district spent about $7,700 to become a licensed user of second-step programs. That's a branch of the not profit Organization Committee for Children, which is very, very left-leaning. According to a copy of the NDA form reviewed by the Daily Caller, eligible parents in the county must sign the document to look at the second-step curriculum. Curriculum presentations can only be given in person. Parents can't broadcast, they can't download, they can't picture, take a picture, or record in any manner whatsoever. Downloadable files of part of the curriculum are available on the Loudoun County's Public School Board website per Second Steps copyright policy. Quote I understand that the authorized presentation of Second Step materials I'm about to view is not a public event, and that copying, broadcast, or recording of any kind is not permitted the form they sign reads. I agree to comply with the terms of that special license. So according to the district's agreement with Second Step, the curriculum is not subject to traditional Virginia Freedom of Information Act laws. I don't know how that's possible. It's a public school system, folks. This is paid for by public tax dollars. <laughs> by law, it is subject to FOIA law request. Scott Minio, who's a ringleader of Loudoun County's Parents Against Critical Race Theory organization, said that he finds the copyright laws suspicious as similar curriculum packages are easily available for, for, for parents to look at. Loudoun County is partners with Southern Poverty Law Center, Racial Equity Tools, and Learning for Justice, the SPLC, all of which have copyrighted material. However, Loudoun County freely provides access to all of these, Minio said, Why is there such a double standard when parents want to review second-step material? Loudoun County Public Schools hasn't said anything about it. I'm sure that surprises you. Wow. So what else has been happening? (laughs) Well, um, there is a lot going on, and it ain't good for this president. Joe Biden's approval ratings, they're tanking. An 11-point drop in average over his first three quarters in office. What does that mean, folks? Well, I don't know what it means, but it's the most significant decline in approval during the same point in any president since 1953. I'll tell you how old that is. That's the year I was born. And I'm 68. 68 years. Nobody's ever done that bad as president. We're talking about some real stinkers. Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon. During his first quarter as president, Biden enjoyed approval ratings between 54 and 57%, an average of 56. Since then, however, his rating has plummeted. Ratings in his third quarter, which began on July 20th and ended last week on the 19th averaged 44.7%, that 113 drop between Biden's first and third quarters, the largest of any president, back to 53 Gallup's latest poll registers the president's approval rating at 42%, which is similar to the 43% rating he garnered in September. Since September, however, the U.S. has dealt with supply chain issues, a worker shortage, And, of course, the I-word, which is consuming us, inflation. In August, he was just below 50. He was at 49%. But the withdrawal from Afghanistan, if you want to call it that, which resulted in the death of 13 U.S. service members, likely led to the six-point drop between August and September. That's according to Gallup. The last poll, conducted from October 1 through the 19th, shows that 92% of Democrats approve of Biden's performance, 6% disapprove, which blows my mind. Among Republicans, 4% approve of the job Biden is doing, 94% disapprove. Have you ever seen such an obvious in-the-tank either way, GOP or Democrat, in polling? The 88-point partisan gap in job approval is the largest for Biden so far and ranks among the largest in more than eight decades. Eight decades in which Gallup measures presidential approval. So what the heck is going on? What's up with Joe? Well, let me, let's call on somebody that has a pretty good inside shot at keeping up with presidential poll numbers. She hadn't been around much. Kellyanne Conway, you remember her. And she stepped forward and analyzed Biden's approval rating over the weekend on Water's World, noting that voters see the president as a product of 47 years in D.C. Here's what she said, and I'm going to read this verbatim so you get exactly what points she was making gallup came out with a poll that showed since june joe biden's approval rating among independents has cratered 21 points think about that just three or four months it's gone down 21 points independents call themselves independent because they're paying attention to politics not because they're not they refuse to declare allegiance to either party they declare independence from both parties and they don't like washington They don't like politicians to begin with. And they look at Joe Biden now and they don't see someone who's able to leverage 47 years in Washington. They see someone who was a product of 47 years in Washington. And the Democrats, they don't have a messaging problem. They don't have a messenger problem. They have a fact problem. They're trying to foist on the rest of us trillions of dollars in spending that according to the polls, people don't want. We really should have listened to the Democrats, the 25 who ran against him and didn't want him to be president. They said he he wasn't up to the task. He wasn't up to the fight, up to the job. They were right. America doesn't want Biden now. The Democrats don't want him in the future. Now, that's from a political insider in Washington, somebody that knows. And I don't think there is a person alive that who is in the know that has knowledge that understands the political process historically and where we are today that can factually argue with her perspective. And there are a lot of reasons for it. One that is not being talked about much from the White House during press briefings, is inflation. So, on October 20th, almost a week ago, a headline on that day in the New York Times is worth consideration. Quote, Where are the workers? How can so many Americans afford not to work? And will it last? I'll bet you, you have asked one or two of those questions over the last couple of months. And they're good questions. The economy is running short of workers in some of the highest visibility sectors. It's an open question whether this shortage is short-term or if it's going to be a long-term one. Interestingly, though, the Biden administration seems to want it to be a long-term one. I'll explain that in a minute. In the meantime, New York Times has its explanation for voluntary unemployment. Quote, Americans are flush with cash. That is, of course, something of as an exaggeration. Most Americans are nowhere close to full-up money-wise. Yet still, the natural prosperity of our economy, including the boom brought on by Trump's 2017 tax cut, by the way, has been further goosed by COVID-related stimulus, including trillions in direct federal expenditures, as well as ultra-low interest rates and accelerated loans and grants. We can look back and say that some of the spending that we've experienced was necessary, some of it, not nearly most of it. After all, the economy suffered the virus-related heart attack in early last year, so it was a good idea for the government to apply some electrical cardioversion money defibrillators and to set in motion some counter-cyclical spending. Also, on the matter of voluntary unemployment, we can say not every job is a good job. To put the point another way, bad jobs usually become good jobs when they pay more. So in that sense, if workers are scarce relative to the number of available job openings, some 10 million, by the way, that's good because the competition for workers is going to cause wages to go up. But should we also should be aware of two economic dangers, overspending, overspending. The federal government today, no question about it, is spending too much, and their spending is overheating the economy, and it's igniting inflation. There it is, the I word. Second, we don't talk about this much, is overregulation. The feds and now a bunch of state and local governments are causing supply problems and been for a long time. The latest and most obvious example of a regulatory obstacle is the vaccine mandates. How do they play into it? They inhibit businesses and workers from their normal functionality in business. So this twinning of red ink and red tape is the perfect storm. It's a formula for inflationary stagnation, or as it was called in the 70s, stagflation. Much has been written about the ominous parallels between the economy of the 20s and that back in the 70s. The historical record tells us that the 70s slash 20s parallelism is allowed to continue. The voluntary unemployment we see today will be joined by something much worse tomorrow, involuntary unemployment. In 1942, that's the year Joe Biden was born, 1942, Joe Biden then, he ought to remember the 70s, I do, and he's much older than I am, and yet understand instead of learning from the past with an eye toward avoiding those pitfalls again, Biden's kind of happy, he's looking at reliving all that. The 46th president seems eager to resurrect yet another mistake from the past, though, bidding potentially productive Americans out of the workforce by putting them on the government dole. This kind of welfareism was a policy mistake of the 60s. If you were around, you'll remember in that decade, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society agenda caused welfare spending as a percentage of the economy to double. One bad result of that great society was a sharp increase in the federal deficit, and yet we also saw the worsening of problems vastly more dangerous, like a worsening of human dependence, of cultural degradation, and an end of social breakdown. It was a height of perversity, the federal government spending billions to actively make societal problems even more problematic. In the late 80s, Tommy Thompson in Wisconsin, you remember him? He was a Republican governor, aided by his social services chief, Jason Turner. They started chipping away at the welfare problem. So in the next decade, Wisconsin's reform movement went nationwide. In 96, the 104th Congress, which was Republican, by the way, prodded Bill Clinton into signing a landmark federal welfare reform bill. The results were dramatic. Over the next quarter century, the number of people on welfare, which was originally called the Aid to Families with Dependent Children, or the AFDC, and now it's called the Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, over a decade fell from 12.6 million to 2.9 million. Now to be honest, the problem of costly welfare dependence has hardly gone away. Former Texas Senator Phil Graham wrote recently in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, since the war on poverty started in 1965, the labor force participation rate of bottom quintile earners who now receive more than 90% of their $50,000 average income from government transfer payments has fallen from almost 70% to 36%. In other words, Uncle Sugar is still doling out a bunch of sweets, candy, such that those who don't wish to work can still enjoy material conditions that most of the world would envy. Most people around the world would not, however, envy the actual lifestyle of the American underclass. So as this recent spike in crime tells us, the same problems of welfare-induced underclass pathology that was chronicled back then are still with us. To be sure, the problem is a little bit smaller than it was four decades ago, but it's larger than it was even just a few years ago. It's making a curve, and it's going dramatically back up. All the while, the left has been looking for an opportunity to undo any and all welfare reform. They want more Americans to be more dependent on the federal government. With that comes control. And the epicenter for all that, folks, the $3.5 trillion Joe Biden bill Back Better Plan, also known as a reconciliation bill, that's now being debated in Congress. One of the worst and most controversial elements included is what Democrats call the child care tax credit, a CTC. For their part, Republicans call CDC a Trojan horse, designed to undo welfare reform secretly. And so as part of their political pitch, Democrats typically spend CDC as a tax cut, even though more than three-fourths of the benefits go to families who pay no taxes today, which is to say CDC is a grant. Moreover, since there's no work requirement or even an education requirement, Child Tax Credit is really a no-strings-attached government handout, which is to say it's a plan for a return to the open-ended era of pre-'96 welfare spending and all of the problems that happened in the 60s and 70s and 80s. The Child Tax Credit proposal calls for families to get $3,600 annually for each kid under 6, $3,000 3000 for each kid 6 to 18 with a total cost over 10 years of 550 billion dollars half a trillion work requirements are about much more than just getting people into jobs to help the economy we saw this in the Trump administration folks when taxes were cut When more and more jobs began to be created and opened up, we watched as African-American unemployment just obliterated itself. More women were employed than ever. Pay across the board went up. Americans had more spendable income. People in large begin to feel better about themselves when they went back to work. One part of the message is work is good, because work organizes your personal life preventing the decadence of indolence and the second part is work is good because it makes every worker a contributing as well as a benefiting member of the commonwealth that's the key to a really great society where everybody citizen is free and independent now obviously Most of the progressives don't agree with any of this thinking about the value of work. They don't care about it, even if they know it exists. And at least for now, they're in charge of the national agenda. In fact, as explained in multiple places, the Biden plan abandons the link between work and welfare established by welfare reform in the 90s, reestablishes the principle of unconditional entitlement to taxpayer-funded Benefits. That's what this is all about. And there you have the synopsis. Is that what most Americans want us to go to? Because that's the only thing being shoved today by Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden, and even the far left. And sadly, some Republicans in the middle are leaning that way too. Why? They look back at their voters. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. You offer somebody a lot for doing very little or nothing. How many people are going to say no? That's appealing. And when you have people that are running campaigns and asking people to vote for them, quid pro quo always comes to the forefront. It may not be discussed outwardly, but pretty much those Americans that are looking for a cheap date, a way to slip by and get something good without having to work for it, those people are saying, okay, you want me to vote for you? If I vote for you, I expect this from you when you take office. Quid pro quo. And what better teacher of that than Uncle Joe, Joe Biden. I mean, we have documented evidence of him doing that around the world. The head of the Biden family syndicate. Oh, I don't get any of that money when emails from Hunter Biden's laptop verify somewhere, somewhere on planet Earth. There's apparently some big dollars with a bunch of zeros. And those numbers that are earmarked
0: for the big guy, Joe Biden. And now back to John with the weather.
2: Yes, Andy, tonight a big storm. Storm this! Get the soccer offer from Pizza Hut and Pepsi with every two medium pan super supreme. You get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. Yes, Pepsi, the soccer ball, Don't miss the Pizza Hut and Pepsi soccer offer with every two medium pan super supreme. You get a real soccer ball and four cans of Pepsi for free. What about the weather, Andy? Don't resist and call 19,000 now.
3: The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or gag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries. Was $4.79, now just $2.99.
4: So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say let's go to the beach, Donnie says... Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says... Your place needs furniture, and at this sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going
0: somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City... In a world where a president can be censored by social media in his own country, you need a break from the madness. Your doctor of sanity again, Dan Newman.
1: I don't know about the doctor of anything, but I'm going to tell you what, there are so many moving parts for Americans to consider today. I don't see how American people are expected to function and understand all of the important pieces of getting along. And doing the right things and doing the things that are necessary and doing all of that while somebody's standing on the sidelines screaming and hollering at you, telling you everything you think is good is bad. And I mean, folks, I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what's happening. If you listen to any of those, all of those who uh, control the microphone today, the big microphone, which is what comes out of the Oval Office everything's okay. There's nothing wrong. And forget about those people that are living out in the nation. You know, the ones that are small business owners that employ most Americans. Did you know that? Small businesses, companies with less, fewer than 100 employees. Those companies, when you add up all of their employees across the nation, more people work for those kind of country uh, companies than work for the biggies. Yet the biggies are the one that control the economy there's just something's not right about that and then of course what do those people do they have all the money or most of the money they're going to support people that do things for them quid pro quo quid pro quo joe is in the white house and so um, everything bad that happens now everything every challenge that comes up the democrat way every democrat that has been occupied in a Oval Office for decades, all the way back to the Clintons and even before the Clintons, Bill Clinton was president. I include Hillary because she was always there in the middle of it. But nevertheless, um, Clintons, then you had Bush for eight years, Bush 43. Then you had Obama for eight years. The practice of these Democrats is to blame everything bad that happens while they're inhabitants of the White House, on their predecessors who always happen to be former presidents that were Republican. Clinton did it. Bush 41 was his predecessor. Obama did it. Bush 43 was his predecessor. Biden's doing it. He did it with Obama for eight years as vice president. Now he's doing it as president, blaming everything bad on Donald Trump. Well, every day more and more of the truth about all this is exposed. And a big one, I mean, that's right in our faces now, is the supply chain chaos. Whether or not you have faced it and knew it was a supply chain chaotic problem that you were facing, whether or not you knew that, it's been there. If you've been to some stores, you can't get something that you want. You order something, it takes much longer to get it. All those kind of things are direct results of supply chain chaos. Cargo air shipping companies warned the White House yesterday that its proposed vaccine mandate is going to just tear the supply chain apart even further, much further, much worse than it is right now by putting even more strain on staffing for industries and corporations, including In transportation, that's according to a letter sent by a cargo association received by the Biden folks yesterday. We have significant concerns with the employer mandates announced on the 9th of September and the ability of industry members to implement the required employee vaccinations by December 8th. That's in that letter that was written. With supply chains already suffering because of massive backlogs at those two key California ports Riverside and LA, and a shortage of truckers and other workers, the Cargo Airline Association, which represents UPS, DHL and FedEx, said the VAX mandate is creating chaos. Biden said on that day in that speech, federal workers and federal contractors will have to get COVID-19 vaccination. Contractors have until the 8th of next month, excuse me, the 8th of December to mandate their employees to get the shot. Federal contractors, that means UPS and FedEx, can't have their employees opt out of the vaccine mandate. So December 8th, that's become a, a bigger deal every day. date for the mandate creates a significant supply chain problem. This is from that letter. This problem is further exacerbated by the fact we're already experiencing worker shortage. Both in the air and on the ground, any loss of employees who refuse to be vaxxed will adversely impact our operations. What's more, the letter warned that many air cargo companies ship vital medical supplies. By the way, that includes COVID 19 vaccines. Last Wednesday, now this kind of scares me. I didn't know about this, but Biden last Wednesday met with the heads of UPS. Federal Express and other firms along with the heads of the ports of LA and Long Beach and the meeting was to address those bottlenecks in shipping and supply lines. The Marine Exchange, which tracks those container ships at those two major ports, told us yesterday there were 169 ships in port. There were 147 ships in port on October 15th. The number's going up every day spokespeople for UPS and FedEx said that both companies are still looking at reviewing Biden's executive order, but they've urged employees to get vaccinated. Got to stop right here. There is no Biden executive order on this. You understand? You got that? There is no mandate. There is no executive order. He said that he was going to get OSHA, part of the Department of Labor, They're the ones that regulate the working conditions for all federal workers. He said he was going to push out what is legally called a rule. OSHA was going to devise that rule like they always do for anything that is necessary or anything that must be blocked in the workplace. OSHA's going to do it. It hasn't happened. There is no executive order. So what's really going on, folks? Let me tell you what I'm I'm positive of this. I am positive of what I'm about to tell you. When there's ever a question about anything in politics, follow the money. Now, what do you think is going on, Dan? Let me tell you what's going on. Do you know that the federal government ordered billions of booster shots, COVID-19 booster shots? And many of those are for foreign countries. So what does that have to do with this? People are pushing back. Millions of Americans are resisting to even get shots one and two of COVID-19 vaccines. So the United States has ordered and paid for billions of dollars of vaccines. Your insurance company doesn't pay for these COVID-19 vaccinations. Your insurance company, Blue Cross, Aetna, they're not paying for the hospitalizations, the intensive care for COVID-19 patients. Nothing in COVID-19 pandemic world is being paid by private people, or even by insurance companies. The federal government is underwriting it all. That's why Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson have made billions in profits, because they're selling their vaccines to the federal government. Joe Biden is under pressure to create a marketplace for all of these extra vaccines that he is ordering and the American people are paying for. This administration is creating a perfect storm. And the ship, the fishing boat, that is heading right into that storm is the mothership, the United States of America. And our captain has turned us broadside to the upcoming storm, and we're about to be rolled over. Americans have awakened to the abuse of facts, by this administration. Folks, when things don't add up, here's what you need to understand. You're responsible. You are personally responsible for all of the decisions and choices that you make about your life. And if you're an adult, and I know pretty much I'm pretty certain everybody listening today is, if you're an adult and you are married and you have kids you and your wife, your spouse, your husband, whichever, you are collectively responsible for the choices, the decisions are made for yourself. And because of all of this uncertainty and because of all of the truths that are slipping out from behind the veil of falsehoods that have been put up and told us and have been for generations by our political leaders because they want to be in charge, and to do that, they must make us feel like we need to trust them and let them make all of our decisions. That push has grown in intensity, and everybody in D.C. seems to be adopting that mindset and just pushing it out and making us think we're stupid. And now in this administration, you're bordering on breaking the law if you don't just benignly follow everything we're told coming out of Washington. All of that is going in together to create this perfect storm. And it's ripping institutions apart at the seams. Our medical infrastructure is being attacked like never before, while at the same time, taxpayers are being forced to subsidize all of this attack. Every Dime of it is coming out of your pockets. Now, what are you talking about? I told you about the vaccines. Federal government's buying them all. They're vacc- they're giving them out, vaccinating people at our expense. That's okay. I get that. Insurance companies aren't paying a dime, so they're making a fortune. What about healthcare workers? Do you know that if you're a Medicare or a Medicaid patient? And by the way, if you're a Blue Cross or Aetna or some other private healthcare patient, you go into the hospital and you are you are given a diagnosis as being COVID-19 positive. Guess what that does for that hospitalization, that hospital, those doctors? Whatever your insurance company would normally pay for all of those services the federal government is taking over payment of all of it, 100% directly to the hospital for your care. And in addition, they're paying the hospitals a 60% stipend on top of what they would normally pay for the same thing. Rooms, intensive care, uh, medications of every kind. They're paying the normal rate that they would pay plus 60%, follow the money. Look what is doing. Look what's happening. We're talking about supply chain issues. Government is picking up the tab for everything. There is no incentive for people to move on and to tackle problems like Americans always have. When you see the problem, that's what we do. That's how industries have been built. That's how technology ever was created. Every great invention throughout our history has been the product of the ability to figure out what's needed, what's necessary, and find ways to make those processes work better through inventions, through redirection of things that are already in our lives to make it better, more cost-effective, and easier to get. That is is being killed every day in this administration. Wow. Golly, we're out of time. Oh, well. I'm sorry about that. Thank you, though. It's been a great Tuesday. Every Tuesday is great with you. Every day is great with you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being part of this. Why don't you do this? Tell somebody, hey, why don't you join me tomorrow morning? tune in at TNN Live. Until then, have a great one, folks.